The scripture reading this morning is from Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to live, to die than to live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Caleb. Those of you who are uh, methodically following along in your bulletin may notice that I am not the Reverend Matt Howell here this morning. Apparently, he he, uh, messaged us this morning that he's, quote, not feeling well. So uh, if any of you see him sipping a mojito after service today, I need photographic evidence. Just kidding. I I believe he's truly sick. Is that true, Zoe Kate? Can you confirm? Um, I think he'll be okay. But in his absence, he did send in uh, his, his notes on the sermon here this morning. So if you find my sermon, uh, you know, unusually concise and profound this morning, uh, that may be the reason why. But if at the end you find it, you know, still belabored and confusing, well, you know, I got to leave my mark somewhere on the service. But if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we have been uh, doing this kind of fun sermon series that we've called the, the Bible's Greatest Hits. And uh, there's not a terrific rhyme or reason, this different stories that we've chosen, but there's this whole bunch of stories in the Bible, uh, stories that maybe if you grew up around church, you were told as a child, but you really haven't paid much attention to since. But we wanted to take a look at, at just highlighting some of them because, you know, stories have, have a funny way of, of defying your expectations. You come to a story with a certain set of, of expectations, of, of feels, and you can sometimes leave with something very different. Like, you remember those of you who went to go see Frozen 2, the second one? Like, you went because you wanted to hear, you know, some remix of, of Let It Go, you know, maybe 90 minutes of Olaf being Olaf, right? You, not nearly enough of you have children. You're not uh, following along with me. But what you got when you went to that movie was a 90-minute discourse on reparations. I, I did say the word reparations, but picture Matt's, like, boyish grin as I say it. I think it's supposed to be a, a joke that he told. The stories have a way of, of um, duping our expectations, of changing the way that we uh, think and, and, and to defy what we expect. And the same is true as we come to Jonah. If you know something about Jonah, you probably know a story that was told uh, about this, you know, whale that, that swallows a man and, and he goes and he teaches God's goodness. You know, it's a Maybe you think of Pinocchio or, or, or a story like that. It's, it's cute. It's quaint. But when you leave the story of Jonah, what you leave with is a pretty profound view of the human heart. 
or maybe more specifically, the, 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 what's wrong with the human heart. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to, to do three things, really. One is to just simply remember the story, to rehearse the story. For those of you who don't know it, uh, we want to keep you up to speed on the story. But then the second two things is we want to ask two questions. The first is this, what is wrong with the human heart? What is wrong with the human heart? And the second question is this, how, what's the solution? What can we do about the heart that we discover? Because I'm going to give you a heads up, it's not that pretty. But first, the story. The story opens with uh, God coming to a man named Jonah. And Jonah had a job to do. He was called a prophet. That means he was supposed to go and um, in some ways not that differently than what I'm doing now, is to proclaim what God has to say to the people. But the people that God wants him to go to is the city of Nineveh, which was in the ancient world the, the, the capital city of the world's superpower. And uh, they weren't a particularly nice group of people. Like just to set the stage of the kind of context when Jonah hears God say, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh, let me read you a little uh, journal entry from the, the king of Assyria wrote uh, several decades before Jonah's time, but still, you know, it gives you a flavor for the kind of culture it is. The king wrote, after he had gone on a, some conquest or another, he says, I, I built a pillar over against the city gate, and I flayed all of the chiefs who had revolted. Anytime you use the word flayed, right, you just, pretty gruesome. And I covered the pillar with their skins. We're getting a little closer to lunch. This is not good. Uh, some I impaled on the pillar of stakes. Others, I cut the limbs off of the officers. From some, I cut off their noses, their ears, their fingers. And I put out many of their eyes, he says. Uh, not a very nice picture, is it? Not exactly like if, if, you know, God comes and says, hey, I'd like you to go uh, visit this land, and this is what you've heard of that land, you probably wouldn't be too excited to go, would you? This is a, a, peop, a group of people who is so cruel, so hostile, right? Nobody in their right minds wants to go and to cross them. And yet Jonah is asked to go and to preach to these people that God's judgment is at hand. And so right off the bat, when God says, hey, I want you to go to this uh, great city, Nineveh, uh, Jonah goes, yeah, no. Yeah, no, I don't think I'm going to go that way. And the text doesn't explicitly tell us why he doesn't go, but I mean, you heard what I just said, right? You assume that he doesn't want to go because, well, who would want to go? Who wants to put their lives and their noses and their ears in jeopardy, right? Who wants to go to a land that takes such delight in, in the destruction of human life? Or maybe Jonah hears that God's call to go to this group of people in Nineveh, and he goes, I mean, this is a group of people who, like, leave their victims out in the desert and, and burn, like they're getting creative with how to kill different people. Like this is a, God, this is a big ask. This is a little above my pay grade. I'm not sure that I can go through with this. 
But whatever his reason uh, that we assume, Jonah does exactly that. He finds the first ship going the opposite direction. He sets sail to run away from Nineveh, to go to the farthest place he could get to to avoid Nineveh. But as the story goes, God sends a storm, and it it stalls the ship out, and the storm only ends when Jonah is thrown overboard, where he is consumed by a giant fish, a fish that vomits him back out onto the dry land three days later. And while he's picking, you know, fish puke out of his ear, God says, hey, Nineveh, I want you to go back Hey, Nineveh. Hey, Jonah, I want you to go back to Nineveh and preach. And Jonah goes, and, and the story is startling, and it's, and it's beautiful. The people of Nineveh repent. They change their ways. They, they put on sackcloth and ashes. They mourn the injustices that they have done to one another and to God's creation, and a, a revival breaks out, and it's amazing. And it's such a beautiful ending to the story that we, we stop reading in chapter 3. Because we think, how great, how beautiful. But the story doesn't end in chapter 3. The story goes on to chapter 4. And it's shocking. The twist to the story is shocking. You imagine that Jonah uh, is going to respond to the fact that he still has his eyeballs with glee and, and gladness, right? You think that Jonah is going to respond, see that he, he actually accomplished the work that he was supposed to do and and feel pretty good about himself. But you saw in chapter 4, verse 1, Jonah's response. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And all of a sudden you're reading the story and and you go, oh, wait, he didn't run away from Nineveh because he was scared for his life. He didn't run away from Nineveh because he, he was overwhelmed. He was overmatched. He was asked to do something impossible. Jonah ran away from Nineveh, not because he feared failure, but because he feared success. Because he was terrified that these violent, ungodly people would experience grace and mercy instead of judgment. And as you look at Jonah... As you look at the human heart that beats within Jonah, you begin to see that something's terribly wrong. That he's angry that God showed his mercy. Not just that he's angry. Look at verse 3. Jonah says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah Jonah's hatred and dislike for this people was so strong that he would rather die than see them shown grace. He would rather perish than see them find freedom. Jonah's 
heart is sick. And so it leads us to ask this question, what is wrong with the human heart? And what's the solution? So what's wrong with the human heart? I want, to, I want you to picture something, all right? This is, this is make-believe, so you're going to have to use your imaginations, right? But I, I want you to picture that Willy Wonka creates a, a, a recycling machine, okay? And the, this, the, the really uh, amazing thing about this machine is, is that you can throw anything into the, this machine. You can throw your, your dirty laundry Right, you can throw those uh, those books you haven't read yet. You can throw in your uh, asparagus. Right, you can throw in your car, your house, whatever it is. You can throw anything into this machine, but out pops the same thing every single time. You you picture the Willy Wonka machine, right? The the colorful, the the wheel starts spinning, the puffs of steam start coming out, and it starts making all these funny noises. And out of the chute comes the everlasting gobstopper or, or the, I can't think of another Willy Wonka candy off the top of my head, right? Whatever it is, whatever you put into this recycling machine, out comes the same thing. And as we look at Jonah, we realize that our hearts are kind of like that, but it's, it's a lot less tasty than the everlasting gobstopper. That whatever we put into our hearts we get the same result every time. That the fallen human heart takes whatever inputs it receives and the output is always self-righteousness. It's always, uh, it's always vanity. It's always finding some way that you are just a little bit better, a, a little bit more superior to the people around you you don't believe me. Uh, let me give you some examples, right? Like I see some coffee pots in the back, right? Some of y'all are bougie when it comes to your coffee, right? Like this French truck stuff, that doesn't cut it for you, all right? You want your, your fair trade pour over, uh, you know, I can't even think, uh, fancy coffee, right? The coffee that costs like $35 a cup. Right, And when you find that perfect cup of coffee, you look at the people who, dr who are drinking their Folgers and you think, a little uncultured, right? They're a little utilitarian. But now some of you guys are the, are the Folgers people. You're the folks who stop by Exxon every morning on your way to work to get your cup of coffee. And what do you think about those bougie people? You think, those idiots they're paying $35 for the same thing as I'm drinking at home. I spend $35 a year on coffee, right? And don't even get me started, those are you tea drinkers, right, who are too good for coffee to begin with. But it's not just coffee. It's, you know, it's work ethic, right? Some of you all are, are, are the kind of people who, uh, who pride yourself that you're willing to do what it takes to get the job done. You're the kind of people who have, who have mastered productivity, you, right? Like you've, you've figured out the perfect way to run a, a team meeting at, at, at the office, right? You have, you have maximized your potential. You have staffed your company perfectly. And you look at the chaos of, of the way a church is run, and you go, those, if only they had me, they would have their problems solved, right? 
Or maybe you're the kind of person who values, you know, your work-life balance, right? And you take, you look at your schedule and you say, look at my time equally divided between my work responsibilities, my family responsibilities, uh, my uh, physical exercise, right? I have apportioned my time to live a perfectly healthy life. And you look at those schmucks that are still in the office at 8 p.m. and you go, what is wrong with them? What is their priorities? You private school people look at the public school people and you think, uh, do they not care about their kids? And you public school people look at the private school people and you think, what are they doing? And then you homeschool people, you're, you're just the, you're the tea people. You're the same people who drink tea, I think. The homeschool people are the tea drinkers, I think, right? Whatever it is, whatever the input is, we find some way to look down on the other people. It could be what time you show up to church. It could be your politics. It could be your parenting. It could be fill in the blank. The human heart is a machine that will take any input, anything you give it, and it will turn it into some reason to think that you are better than the people that you despise, that you know more than that group of people who you don't like. The human heart is amazingly gifted at twisting the world into thinking that we are better than other people. And as a result, we live in a society with people with those kinds of hearts, including those in this room. And what we have is we have a society that's built on anxiety. We have a society that is built on finger pointing. We have a society that is built on vindictiveness. That's why Matt put in the front of your bulletin this quote from Alan Jacobs. It says, The great moral crisis of our time is not, as many of my fellow Christians believe, sexual licentiousness, but it is rather vindictiveness. And it begs the question for us. What is it that we are throwing into the machinery of our hearts to give us an air of superiority? What is it that we are feeding ourselves that tells us that, that we are doing okay or at least better than those other people? If we look at Jonah, we can see maybe what his is. All right, he's a prophet, for crying out loud. He's a vocational uh, Jew, a vocational believer in God. He's supposed to be the mouth's person for God, to proclaim God's message to the, to the nation, to proclaim God's message to the world. This is a man who has his priorities straight, right? He is a moral person. He is a person who cares about justice, in the world. He is a person who is extremely religious and knows the stories of God so well. But when you put all of those good things into his heart, what comes out of the the other side of that machine is vindictiveness, is hatred, it's hostility. It's a kind of, of cruelty that you would expect of the Assyrian king, right? that he looks at a whole city full of people, a whole nation full of people, and says, I am rooting for them to be destroyed. I want them to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. I want them to be turned to piles of ash. 
That's the kind of cruelty that comes from the human heart. That's the kind of output that we see coming in our own small ways in our life. And you know this. If you've been around the church or you've been around Christians at all, you know that going to church, that being moral, that caring about the Bible, that doesn't fix the broken machinery in our heart. That doesn't make our hearts beat any different than anyone else. The output is still the same. Self-righteousness and superiority. So if that's what is wrong with the human heart, what's the solution? If you uh, go back to our imaginary machine, right, the imaginary human heart machine, and you, you, you plug in... Uh, your computer and you figure out with a code, right? That, that the, the programming code for this machine, what you find under the hood is this basic formula, that I am because of what I do, that I am good because I do good things, that I am right because I don't do the wrong things, that I am okay because I am not like those people who are not okay. That I am lovable because I do the right things. That people will like me because I have the, the, the right message to give to people. That people will care about me because I have done the, what is right. But the story of Jonah completely reverses that. Because in the story of Jonah, we can see the inputs of goodness and morality and, and righteousness go into Jonah's heart, and what comes out is pettiness, vindictiveness, anger, and violence. But what we see when we put, uh, when we put the story of God into Jonah's heart, that, that the machine begins to break down. Because the God that Jonah is, is proclaiming is, saying, is, is supposed to proclaim is a God who comes after people, who chases after people who want nothing to do with him, right? You can see it in the Assyrians, that little excerpt I read. They're not people who want to mirror the humility and, and meekness of Jesus, are they? They're running as far as they can away from Jesus, but when you look at Jonah, you see that he, too, wants to run as far as he can from Jesus. Literally. Jesus says, go here. God says, go here. And what does he do? He runs the opposite direction because his heart has not grasped the story of the God he proclaims. This is a God who loves runaways. This is a God who, whose heart beats not for those who are pacifists in, in disposition, but for those who are violent by disposition. For those uh, who are arrogant, who are self-righteous. For people who are racist in the way that Jonah was. God relentlessly chases after those kinds of people. And if God chases after those kinds of people, then our whole system begins to fall apart. We begin to realize that we have been running from the very thing that could help us. Y'all remember Home Alone? Because you're only the right kind of person if you watch Home Alone every Christmas, by the way. Uh, Home Alone, the story of, of Kevin 
who's, I don't know, 10, something like that. He is, um, he is told at the beginning of the movie by his older brother, Buzz, they look out the window and they see uh, the infamous old man, Marley. You remember him? He's that kind of uh, creepy-looking old guy who's out shoveling salt on the, on the icy sidewalks. And Buzz tells Kevin, that's where he keeps the dead bodies. Right? Old man Marley's supposed to be the, this, this serial murderer, this, this evil character. And so throughout the whole movie, Kevin is trying to get away. Every time old man Marley walks around the, 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 the corner in the grocery store, right? Kevin runs away as fast as he can. When he shows up at church, Kevin's running away as fast as Kevin is doing everything he can to get away from old man Marley. Spoiler alert. The end of the story, who saves Kevin? When Kevin is confronted by the, the bandits who came to rob his home, shortening movies is hilarious. You're like, oh, what am I even talking about? He's confronted. If you've seen the movie, you, you, know, you see Kevin, and he's hung up on the, the hook, and, and he's about to get his fingers chopped off, and who comes to save him? The very man that he has spent his whole life trying to run away from. The one who, throughout the movie, he has done everything in his power to keep distance from it is old man Marley, who is the one who chases down the Kevin who wants to run away. And in that way, old man Marley is a picture of Jesus, because Jesus tells us in Luke 19 that he came to seek and to save the lost. That while we run away from Jesus as, as Assyrians or we run away from Jesus as Jonah, Jesus follows after us. And in Jesus, you begin to see the, the, the operating system that Jonah is operating out of begin to break down. Because while Jonah is, would rather die, remember, then see mercy and grace come to these wicked people. Jesus would rather die than leave them to him themselves. Well, Jonah would rather die than so that he could watch them get what they deserve. Jesus would rather die than allow us to face the judgment we have earned. When you put Jesus into the, 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 the system, into the human heart, the machine whirls and, and the, the steam puffs, right? It makes all the funky noises, but the, the machine has to explode because Jesus is the one input into the human heart that defies its coding. Jesus comes to a people and he says, you are in desperate need of being rescued. And if you believe Jesus when he says you are in desperate need of being rescued, do you know what's nearly impossible? To look at the person drinking Folgers and think I'm better than him. Or to think of the person on the other side of the political aisle and say they are the enemy or they are what's wrong with the world. If you are a person who is in desperate need of being rescued, then the, the self-righteous machine doesn't work. It doesn't know what to do with that kind of input. 
And Jesus blows up the human heart that wants to find vindication in itself. But Jesus tells us something else, too, and he says this, that you are rescued purely by grace and not on your performance. That you are rescued purely by, your, by his grace and not on your performance. Do you know what that does to a human heart that's trying to, to find vindication for itself, trying to think that it is okay or that it's better than other people? It explodes it. Here's why. Because if you're not, because if you are loved, whether you succeeded or whether you failed, if there is a God who looks at you and, and delights in your presence, whether you have done the right things or whether you have done the wrong things, whether you are peaceable or whether you are violent, whether you are good or whether you are bad, it blows the human heart up. It tells us that our joy and that our security can only come from that God. When the story of Jonah finishes, God looks at Jonah and he says this, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Do you hear the empathy in his voice? When Jonah looks at Nineveh, what he sees is the wrong kinds of people. But when God looks at Nineveh, what he sees is a people who need his mercy and his grace. That's the kind of work. That's the kind of heart work that Jesus can bring. And that is why the only solution to our heart problem is Jesus. Because as we hear the story of Jesus the one who died to bring us his freedom, then what comes out of the human heart is graciousness. When Jesus goes into our heart, what comes out is gentleness. When Jesus comes into our lives, we become less judgmental, less irritable, less argumentative towards the people who are different from us. We become people who are more and more and more eager to see God's love and his mercy and his kindness shown to those people, whoever those people are in your social imagination. We have a God who longs not just to proclaim his judgment. We have a God who longs to rewire the human heart, and he was willing to die so that we might live. Pray with me this morning. Father, we are a people who are sick in our hearts. We're a people who, who find ways of, of telling ourselves that we are okay, that we are better than other people with literally any input. But the story of Jesus undermines all of our anxious systems. It undermines all of our claims for goodness. And what it leaves us with is the freedom of your love and your grace. Father, would you allow us to experience that this morning? 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.